0: 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and look at verse 1. Why don't we pray? Let's pretend we're spiritual tonight and just try to move ahead. Lord, thank you so much for grace. Lord, thank you for friends, and what a, just what a wonderful spirit we have here at Grace Baptist. Lord, you know my best friends in the world are here. And Father, it's just such a wonderful thing to study the Word of God together and work forward, work ahead. For you with these people in this place. And Lord, I pray that tonight, as we look at this study, that we'll understand a little bit more of what we're trying to accomplish here. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, "'Let a man so account of us as of,' look at this, "'the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful.'" Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. One of the things about stewardship, and, and remember what a steward is. It's someone who's trusted with something. So a, bank is, a banker is a steward. You, you trust them with your money. God has entrusted us with the ministry. And what we are supposed to do is do the ministry the way that God says we're supposed to do the ministry. Brother Lapish, I took him to lunch today. And I I think he said he was in 220 or 240 churches just in the last couple of years. And he was so excited to see what's happening here at Grace Baptist and what God is doing here in and through people at Grace Baptist Church. It's really an exciting thing, and it's wonderful that we get to be a part of it. Amen? How many of you are excited about this morning, the opportunity that we have to reach our community? And... Don't take this for granted. So talk to your friends who move to another area and try and find a church. Don't take what God is doing here at Grace Baptist for granted. And one of the reasons, I think there are two primary reasons that God is blessing us. Number one, we try to be faithful to his word. And God always always magnifies his word. So as long as we're faithful to his word, I think he'll bless us. But the other reason is the faithfulness of God's people. God blesses stewards. God blesses people who are faithful to his word and faithful to his work. And that's what you guys are doing. And we want to make sure as we continue through this springtime, as we head into our grand opening and we try to accomplish all of these things. So we did Becoming a Welcoming Church. And if you remember, I used the book by Tom Rainer called Becoming a Welcoming Church. And what Tom Raynor does is research, and this... uh, I want to give you some information tonight from a different study that he did. Um, Let's try this again. So he did a study called Nine Habits of Churches That Reach and Keep the Unchurched. Nine Habits of Churches That Reach and Keep the Unchurched. So right now, we're in the process of trying to reach more, but when we reach them, we want to keep them. So I want you to see some of this information. Now look at the work that went into this. The following is from a seven-year study by Tom Rayner and a research team at Southern Seminary. That's the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville. Uh, hold on just a second. Are you glad I told you to turn the mic off on that? All right. So the following is from a seven-year study by Tom Rayner and a research team at Southern Seminary. The study combines both old and new research and includes surveys of, look at this, more than 4,000 churches and interviews with more than 1,000 individuals. So these are the things. How were these people reached and why did they stay? How did they initially come to the church and why did they stay? There's nine of them. The first, there are nine habits. The first is the habit of intentionality. For a church to be successful, it must intentionally try to reach the unchurched. We have to do this intentionally. And you know, we in our community, we can make a lot of excuses. You know, there's a lot of people who, you know, Roman Catholics or people that aren't interested in the gospel. Well, do you think they were interested in the gospel when the Apostle Paul and when the early church was reaching out? See, our job isn't to gauge the response. Our job is to teach the message. Our job is to give the information out there. And. These churches that reach people and keep them, they are intentionally reaching out. They're intentionally reaching out. Now, some of the churches, uh, Brother Lapish, this morning would have been from this same background. It was all, there was almost an overemphasis on evangelism and really no discipleship, no genuine building of the people. Well, that's not our problem. We're building people. We just need to do a better job of reaching people, and we have to do it intentionally 83% of all churches surveyed did not have an intentional plan for reaching the lost. However, among effective evangelistic churches, more than 75% of the unchurched said that someone from the church shared the plan of salvation with them, and in most cases it was not a staff member. So, now at Grace Baptist, that's, you know, that's going to have to be it, right? If we're going to reach our community, I can't even have, I don't even have opportunities to talk to the people that you're dealing with. The way that people are reached is when we intentionally go. Now, sometimes the intentional way of ministry, uh, uh, Brother Lapish talked about it in the Sunday school class this morning, they would every Wednesday night go out and knock on doors for two hours. Well, that would pretty much be a waste of time in Sydney, right? Have you all done that? Now, hanging out the door hangers, giving people information about the church, that's not a waste of time at all. Those are those touches. That we talk about. So, intentional evangelism, it doesn't mean that you have to have a night when we all go out and knock on doors. That's much less effective than all of us every day having a heart to talk about the Lord with someone that we come into contact with. It's much more effective when you're dealing with people who know your testimony, who know your life, who know your children, who know the relationship that you have with your spouse, who know the faithfulness that you have toward the church, the Lord's work, when you are giving that person the gospel, it is so much more effective than somebody knocking on their door and trying to interrupt their dinner. So this this intentionality is not a plan. It is a lifestyle of evangelism. And that's the kind of church that we need to be where we are constantly telling people about the Lord. The research also showed that people often picked a church for such reasons as restroom and nursery cleanliness. So in our class, and I know that in all of your classes, you have a list for your class. Your class has been assigned a certain set of bathrooms. You don't understand how important that is. It's vitally important. When people walk into a restroom at Grace Baptist Church, they need to know, you know what, they've they've prepared for us to come. They care about us being here. And the nursery, isn't the nursery beautiful, the way that it's turned out? And just little details like nobody wearing shoes in the nursery and the nursery workers having the little booty things on. It's very interesting how that affects guests, our security system, how that affects guests, really important. That's the reason that we're trying to accomplish some of these things, so that we can reach people. That is part of our intentionality. Some even drove away from a church because it did not have adequate signage, and they therefore could not find the sanctuary entrance. So one of the next things on our list this week, I'm going to start uh, designing signs for all over the property so people know where to go. And on top of that, we're going to have greeters who know what to do. But adequate signage is very important. Now, let me, let me say this before we get to that next point. How many of you know that signs cost money? See, every bit of this is an investment that you guys give, and we try to use the money in the best way possible? Things like this? All right. Then, friendly... Did that undermine my stewardship right there? Okay. Friendly greeters at a church's entrance have an enormously positive effect. It's really important. It was fun for me. I uh, walked out of my office just before the service and came through the fellowship hall. But as I looked out the windows, there are guys standing out front here with umbrellas. And Jet helped me in. I, I parked my car, and there he was with an umbrella. And you know, I, I said to him, you help all the old ladies, don't you? <laughs> it's a, that was just, I, I didn't expect that. It was just a, a... That was cool. That was a that was a nice thing. And that's the kind of thing that we're talking about with intentional ministry. Really important. Then, the habit of cultural awareness. So the first is intentionality. The second is the habit of cultural awareness. Churches that want to reach out to the unchurched must be highly intentional. They must understand the culture but not compromise with the culture. So that's kind of what I was talking about. So, you know, in our community man they do not want you knocking on their door but what they do want is somebody to have a conversation with them they do care when you actually start talking to them and that's the way that people are reached uh, we uh, let me give you an example of some things like that that we try to do here at grace baptist because you know we have 5 months of winter in sydney and when the weather turns nice People want to do some work in their yards. They want to go outside. But you're working 50 or 60 hours a week at the factory. And so to be culturally aware, what we do is we give you time in the summer. Now, that schedule is going to change a little bit this summer because of uh, the, the services we had to cancel for the remodeling. So I believe we're going to go a little farther into the year with Awana. Is that right? Or do you think we're going to be done? Okay, we might be done. Praise God. Hallelujah. But why do we do that? You know, just so you know, I'm criticized by pastors all over the country for canceling Wednesday night, as if that's some kind of compromise. A guy said it in my presence once, and I said, well, we have more Bible in Sunday school than you have in four services, so don't worry about it. Was that a gracious response? But that's, that, that was my response. Um, why do we do that? Not because I don't want to work. My favorite part of my job is teaching. That's my favorite part. Making the signs, I'm not really that interested in, but I have to do it because that falls under my job description too. But we don't cancel those services to have time off. That's, we're trying to be culturally aware. We're trying to give you opportunities to reach people, to be with your families, to do all those things in a community that's very busy. Um, next Sunday night for Easter, We're not going to have an evening service. So we have a guest speaker that we're paying to be here, but we're not having an evening service. Why are we doing that? Because I know so many of you, your Easter dinner is with a bunch of lost family members. And you having the opportunity to spend time with them and influence them for the gospel, that's really important. That's cultural awareness without compromise. We're going to keep preaching the word. We're going to keep reaching out to people. As a matter of fact, our plan is for you to give people the gospel or to be a good testimony with your family at Easter. That's as much a part of ministry as coming together. Would you all agree with that? Cultural awareness, that's what we're trying to accomplish. Then, it is vitally important to understand, this is, got to get this, the most unchurched generation, those born between 1977 and and 1994, called the Bridger generation, only 4% of this group are Christians. Okay, so let me look at that again. Those born between 77 and 94, how many of you are in that group? Born between 77 and 94. That's the most unchurched group in America. We need to reach them, folks. We need to reach them. Only 4% are Christians. By comparison, 65% of the generation born before 1946 are Christians. Do you think we live in a different world? 4% compared to 65%. We live in a different world. That means we must be culturally aware and intentional in the way that we reach out to people at Grace Baptist Church. Then the habit of high expectations. This is such an interesting thing. Um, Rayner wrote a book called High Expectation Churches, uh, but where this really became—now, um, kind of got on my radar. We, we The leadership at the church here, we read a book called Fusion. And it talks about giving people a job as soon as they get here, finding something for people to do so they feel like they're a part of it. So that's what this high expectations idea is. There's a direct correlation between how much is demanded of a new member and how long the new member stays active in the church. Churches that expect much, receive much. Churches that expect little, receive little. It's a really interesting thing. I have been around some really legalistic churches. You guys know what I'm talking about with that. And they grow. They're huge. And their their time, their, their leadership puts so many demands on those people, and they want to be a part of something. That's the thing that we need to understand. People want to belong to something. They want to be a part of it. But they don't want to be a part that just takes. People want to feel like they're needed, that they're participating. And that's where our discipleship is so important. When you're assigned a disciple, you need to get on that immediately. Immediately. Because it hurts people when we don't do that. Our church, we... We're so concerned about staying right doctrinally that we're very careful before we give people positions of leadership. Amen? But people need to know that they're needed in this place. It's vital that we do that. The average retention rate of new members in all churches, effective and ineffective in America, is 35%. So this isn't people who attend. This is people who join. They join. We only keep 35% of those nationwide It's really important for us to understand that just because a person joins, we're not done working with them. It's really important that we bring people along. So I um, had a meeting with the electricians. And one of the things that's really cool about that, so Andy is discipling Joe. And Joe, Andy brought Joe to work quite a while ago on things that are going on here at the church. And, man, he's a really gifted guy. It's wonderful that he's here, and we're able to use that giftedness. And so here's what happens. Two things happen. Joe, I hope I'm not embarrassing you. Two things happen with this. Number one, we get work done that we need to get done. It's not busy work. You know, we're not moving dirt from one side of the parking lot back and forth so people feel like they have something to do. No, it's two things that happen. We get work done that needs to be done, And Joe gets to use his gifts and be needed here in the ministry. That's where in our discipleship ministry, it's so vital that we bring our disciples with us while we work. It's it's vital that we do that. Are you all with me on this? Y'all are dead tonight. We don't have very many people here. So I need need some amens. I need somebody shaking their head and not this kind of head shaking. Okay. New member classes are vital to keeping people in the church. If new member classes are offered, that percentage shoots up to 72%. If the class is required of new members, the percentage increases even more. So this, a new members class, it really requires a little bit larger church than what we have. But, man, I hope that's the direction that we're headed. Where we have so many people, we've got to start a new class for them. How cool would that be? So I want to tell you a story. J. Frank Norris, you heard the preacher mention him this morning. J. Frank Norris was a pastor of, uh, I think it was First Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. He had a revival in Detroit, and the, I, it was probably in the 20s, the 1920s. And this was, a, imagine this, it's just times are so different. The revival lasted three months. And when he was done, they started a church and they had enough people to start, I think nine hundred Sunday school classes. Most of the people teaching the classes were new converts. Why could they do that? Because those people had grown up, they learned to read from reading the Bible or a McGuffey reader. they memorized the Ten Commandments in school, they knew all the Bible stories. they knew they knew more about the Bible than many born again people today. Now they have the Holy Spirit of God in them and they have organization under a guy named G. Beecham Vick. G.B. Vick was the Sunday school superintendent there. And they started 900 Sunday school classes. That became the largest church in the world, Temple Baptist Church in Detroit. And, And Norris pastored the church in Detroit and the church in Fort Worth at the same time. He'd take trains back and forth. Isn't that crazy? That's the church that started Grace Baptist. That's the church that started this church. Now after we do, you know, we've built our building and we're going to be promoting and doing all these things that we talked about this morning, even Facebook. Can you believe that? As we do all of these things, I expect us to get people to begin coming to Grace Baptist Church. And we're going to do everything we can to keep them. But the way that we're going to keep them is through those high expectations. What did Norris know? He gave those people a job they had a reason, a duty, a responsibility. There was a reason for them to be there that Sunday. Isn't that awesome? We need to get have that high expectation idea and teach people, require them to do things. Then highly effective new members classes were those that said, we want to put you in a ministry as you leave this class. And that would be such a good thing. Now for us, we do discipleship, so our method is different than discipleship classes or that type of thing. But the purpose of discipleship is to get somebody into ministry. That's, that's one of the four goals of discipleship. Personal evangelism classes for new members can also be very fruitful, as it is a highly effective way to get new Christians involved in sharing their new faith with those who are in the world of the unchurched. It's a wonderful thing when somebody gets saved, they're on fire for God, and you tell them how to tell somebody else. Amen. All right. Number four, the habit of clear doctrine. The habit of clear doctrine. Now, I know you guys might be thinking that I am making this up because it sounds like stuff that I've said, but this comes from the research of 4,000 churches and 1,000 new believers. All right? The habit of clear doctrine. People want to hear about doctrine on the front end. They will not make a commitment to a church if they are not told what the church believes from the start. And, you know, that's, that's actually happened here at Grace Baptist. We've had families that have started coming during this launch time, and they're so excited because they're hearing who we are and what we want to accomplish. That, that's pretty cool. And a bunch of them have stayed. We've got new families that are coming to the church through this launch time because they're hearing who we are. And so it's important that we keep doing that, that we maintain that, that uh, direction. This can be done in the form of a written document, so a statement of faith, or through new members' classes, Sunday school lessons, sermons, etc. Then the habit of risk-taking. You must truly act on faith and do what seems to be risky in the light of the world's eyes, or maybe in the light of the church's eyes, that other churches do not. And that's an example of that is our discipleship. A lot of churches don't want to do discipleship the way that we do discipleship because they're afraid of what the people will say. They're afraid that they don't have enough control. But when you actually believe in individual soul liberty, when you believe in the Holy Spirit of God and what he does, and then you try to practice good leadership of it, it's amazing what God does with that. Man, I don't think we would have grown the way that we have without discipleship. Because all the standard church growth methods did not work here in Sydney. The thing that's been the most effective is doctrinal preaching and one-on-one biblical discipleship. The next step that we have to make is being more intentional in our evangelism. Eighty-three percent of senior pastors in effective churches could tell of a major task their church had undertaken. And for us, it's, there's so many different things, but this church building, this is a huge step forward for us. How many of you think the church building was a risk? These kinds of things, yes. The churches have a willingness to lose members. They Do did you see that? They have a willingness to lose members. Man, I can't tell you, I had a friend um, who called, and you would know who he is. It's not Dalton. Um, I had a friend who called, and they had seen what we did in our old auditorium when we took the pews out, remodeled, put the chairs in. We added 50 seats. Well, that's cheaper than building a building. How many of you recognize that chairs are cheaper than building? Okay. And so he went back to his church, and he told his church, his auditorium was about the same size as ours, and he explained to them What he believed that they needed to do so that they could get more room, so that they're able, get more people, so they're able to get that, take that next step. Well, he had a bunch of folks. It was the same kind of a situation here. Pastor Bill was here for 46 years. There was a lot of stuff that was tradition. He was dealing with that same thing in his church. And, um, man, so people got really mad that they were taking the pews out. Really mad. I mean, he had this deacons meeting where guys were really angry. He's a young preacher. He said, what should I say? and i said well just this is th- th- here's the perfect thing to say to them here's what we're arguing about furniture furniture there's nothing spiritual about a pew why do chairs work better there's a defined space in a pew people spread out all over the place and you don't take up you don't fit as many people in it and he ended up losing some people because they went to chairs how many of you think that's insane? You know, we experienced some of that. Man, I made some big mistakes as, an, as a young pastor here. I made some big mistakes, and we had people leave the church because of it. And man, I felt bad about it then. Now it kind of makes me mad because these were the these are older, supposed to be spiritual people, who couldn't see that a young preacher is going to make some mistakes. So next time, I'm just going to slap one of them in the... No, I think they're all dead. Um, (laughs) That wasn't very kind. (laughs) Honestly, now it really bothers me, if I think about it. I I generally don't think about that kind of thing. Because when, when somebody's in ministry and they make a mistake, you don't cut them off. Man, I'll never forget. I messed up the budget really bad. I'd never really done a church budget, and we had we got to the end of the year and we did the math, and I had overspent by a bunch. We had a deacons meeting. I was scared to death. I thought they were going to fire me for sure. And Elza Willis tapped me on the shoulder and said, "You'll do better." Walked. Out. That was the entire conversation. Praise God, Ed Berman, where are you? You need to hear that right there. I just <laughs> no. See, now we're smart. Ed makes the budget. See, so I I, I don't do it. Um. That willingness to lose people in order to do right is vital. Now, let me step back from that. There's a, there's a methodology. It's the purpose-driven church, Rick Warren. And in that purpose-driven method, they, they intentionally try to get older people to leave the church. They don't want them there. That's not us. That is not us. I mean, that's the backbone of Grace Baptist Church. <laughs> Dan woke up at that. <laughs> I'm just serious, man. That's not a platitude. I'm not making stuff up. The young people don't know what to do without the old people. They're the people that give us direction. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that are more hung up on furniture, that are more hung up on style or whatever, than they are on reaching people because they don't understand the value of a human soul. So it's really important that we understand that as we move ahead, we're not going to soften our message. We're just not going to do it. But there's lots of other stuff we might change. So it's important that we're going to take risks in order to reach the community. Whoever would have dreamed that Trunk or Treat would do what it does, right? That's that's a risk because you know that a lot of churches don't think you ought to do anything for Halloween, right? Well, whatever. We're giving kids candy. We're not, you know, worshiping Satan. So um, the churches have a willingness to lose members. They do not make decisions decisions based upon... uh, who might leave as the result of the decision. They make decisions more on who will we reach. Amen? And remember when we launched the, the building, and we talked about how um, excellence is rarely convenient. Remember we talked about that? And it, it's just tough. And I don't know if you noticed, but our attendance dropped off during the building because you have peripheral people that it's just, when things get hard, they're not going to do it. That's why I'm so thankful for the people that were faithful through the whole process. Now, praise God, I hope we get those other folks coming back and we can build them up through discipleship to where they would stand during the next time we do an expansion here in about two years. Um, I want to build a gym. Wouldn't that be cool? you imagine if we could do that, buy a bunch of houses around here and build a gym? Amen. And Andy Jones just had a heart attack. We'll pay this off. Don't worry. We're going to do that. Hallelujah. All right. The habit of dynamic small groups. Now, did I tell you this? I had a guy ask me what our small groups are. What kind of small groups do you have? I said, they're really small. They're one-on-one. So that's the heartbeat of our ministry, but we also do adult classes. So 68% of the people in effective churches are involved in a healthy Sunday school. Do you see that? 68% of the people in effective churches are involved in a healthy Sunday school. I'd be curious sometime to see, we don't, we don't do um, Sunday school attendance, we count in the morning service, but I'd be curious to know what that difference is. I think we're better than 68%. How many of you think that we're better than that, or, or how many think that we're over that? How many of you think we're under that? How many of you really don't care? Okay. 68% of the people in effective churches are involved in a healthy Sunday school. I'll tell you this, this is from another Rainer book, the quote I'm going to give you now, He wrote a book called Surprising Insights from the Formerly Unchurched. This is a real easy one to remember. So people that begin attending a church who do not get involved in a Sunday school class, only 15% of those people are still in the church two years later. Listen to what I said. Of people who begin attending a church but do not begin attending a Sunday school class, only 15% of those people are still in church two years later those who do start going to a Sunday school class, 85% of those are still in church two years later. It's a complete opposite. It's a complete inversion of the numbers. That's why our our classes are so important. That's why we invest in those classes so uh, effectively. It's really important that we do that. Um, because there tends to be an expectation that the people are involved in ministry through that Sunday school. That's, they get involved in that class. It becomes their class. Healthy Sunday school programs are constantly looking beyond themselves. Now, looking beyond yourselves, that's when classes begin to divide so that you have more opportunities for people. The class doesn't get too big. If the class gets too big, then people don't have an opportunity to minister in that class. Unhealthy Sunday school programs are inward-focused... They only care about themselves. Then the habit of effective leadership. The pastor and the preaching, this is interesting, were the most important factors in the unchurched returning. The pastor and the preaching were the most important factors in the unchurched returning. Now, some of you might be saying, well, duh, you know, of course. But you got to understand all the church growth stuff that goes on. You know, you, you got to take Baptist off your name. you got to make sure that, that your facility's cool. You know, you, you got to paint the ceiling and you got to, you know what I mean? They think that all of these things are the reasons that people come back. No, the reason people come back is because the preacher preaches to them. They get something while they're there. Effective church pastors spend five hours a week involved in personal evangelism. Ineffective church pastors spend less than 10 minutes a week. This was convicting to me, especially through this building program. I've not spent five hours a week in evangelism, but that's what pastors do in effective ministries. Now, the best way for the pastor to be able to do that is for church people to take some of the other work off the pastor's plate so that he can do that, right? And you guys do a great job helping, and we'd do better if I told you what the needs were. Um, they're good time managers. I've got to tell you, I hate every one of these right here. I need to be a better time manager. But highly effective pastors are good time managers. Then they have an average tenure of 10.3 years. i got that one. They delegate and give away ministry assignments. They delegate and give away ministry assignments. It's so interesting. Nathan and I talked about this. Um, So when Nathan left, many of his jobs were assigned to church members and here's what's interesting here's what's so fun most of those things are going better than when Nathan was doing them not because he couldn't do it but because he had too many things to do like that and that delegate that's such a wonderful teaching tool for really our whole church how smooth things are going, and it's church people doing the work. And honestly, that's God's plan. God's plan is not for you to pay people to do it. It's for for us to do it together. Keep paying me. Hallelujah. But it's for all of us to be doing the work together. Are you with me on that? And so if we do have the opportunity to hire someone else down the road, I don't know if I've said this out loud, we're, we're getting a second mortgage because of the extra money it took to build the building. And we're using the assistant pastor's pay to pay that second mortgage to make sure that the church doesn't get too much in debt, be overextended. We're we're trying to be good stewards of God's money. So what that means is I'm going to have to work a lot harder, Laura's going to have to work a lot harder, and then I'm going to have to do a better job of delegating to church people. But that's what's going on with that. We will hire someone, Lord willing, as soon as we're financially able to. But right now we're going to put that money toward retiring debt. How many of you think that's a great idea? That's what we are trying to accomplish. But effective leaders delegate and give away ministry assignments. Then the habit of effective preaching. Effective church pastors spent an average of 20 hours a week on sermons, including the task itself. You can't preach without reading and studying. You can't do it. Now, any good preacher, like right now, I could probably preach for a month or two without studying just because I, I have enough material that I've done, that you can't, you can't sustain that. If it's not fresh, if I'm not growing and learning, then you're not growing and learning. And there are churches, man, I see pastors, I've got, I know guys that are retiring at 62 and 63 because they've run out of stuff to say. Look, if you've got this, how could you ever run out of something to say? The problem is, it really takes a lot of work and study to make it fresh, to learn something new, to present new information. So effective pastors spend an average of 20 hours a week. For myself, for years and years, that was at least 30 hours a week here at Grace Baptist. I just I want to be more better than the average as far as my work ethic on preaching. Um, Among effective churches, pastors spent an average. I'm sorry. Among ineffective churches, pastors spent an hour an average of four hours. Four hours preparing for sermons, and they spend all that time searching the internet for a sermon. It's terrible. It's there. You wouldn't believe how many sermon books there are for preachers, or outline starters. Now, I'll be honest. There have been times on a Sunday night where I pulled out an outline starter to help me. But man, if that was all I did, you guys would starve to death spiritually. Right? And so, this is, it's really important. And let me just, yeah, we're doing good for time. One of the best things that Grace Baptist did for Grace Baptist is to help me build a library. It's vital. I can't tell you how wonderful it is to where if I'm studying a passage, got some difficult things, that I can walk into my own library and pull out eight or ten different authors on that issue. It's so important. It's so helpful. There's nothing that you can do in life that doesn't require an investment of time and expense. It's just the way it is. And Grace Baptist has done that for me. And I can't tell you. It, what that's done is it's allowed me to have ministry and effectiveness outside of our church. But it's also helping Grace Baptist Church here. We're influencing people because of it. It's really, it's really cool. I, man, Praise God. Study for more than four hours a week. All right, expository preaching was the most dominant style in the survey. Expository preaching. It's interesting. You don't find very many churches where they open up the Bible and go verse by verse by verse by verse. Andy was telling me about going to one of his um, nerdy game things. And they did it at a church. Where was the church? Shelter church, you know, the ramp. and they had it in the auditorium, and it was so dark in there, they couldn't see to play their games. And he asked them to turn the lights up, and he said, this is as high as they go. When we were building this auditorium, I, had to, I talked to four different people on the project about the lights who couldn't understand why we, we were using these bright lights. Don't you want it darker in here? No. I, I walked around. I, I intentionally went from different spots in the room with the lights with a Bible to make sure that you could see it. This is the only reason we're in here. Now, I understand tonight we're giving more of, of philosophy of what we're doing to, to show why we're doing it. But the heartbeat of Grace Baptist Church is we open our Bible and we look at verse after verse and we turn the pages and we, we do all of those things. That is completely unique in Christianity. There are so few churches that do that. But the effective churches, they have expository preaching where we preach the Bible. Then the habit of prayer. Churches that pray together and pray often keep their new members. Now, look at how this is. This is really important. New members must be called and told they are specifically being prayed for. See, when we think of prayer, we think of corporate prayer meetings where everybody comes together and a few people pray out loud. There are times when that's effective. No, this is talking about specifically praying for specific people and then letting them know they're being prayed for. It's vital that we do that. Eighty-three percent of the effective churches had corporate prayer ministries that were operational and emphasized. So this morning, when I had everyone come forward to pray for that, that's corporate prayer. That's corporate prayer. One of the things that I'm wanting to do as we launch our new ministries and those things is to have times of prayer and opportunities for people to pray and prayer teams where you don't necessarily have to come together, but you're all praying about the same thing. You're praying fervently and regularly for the same thing. We don't need something else on the schedule to get people into the building. That's not what we need, but we do need to direct people to pray more effectively, and more specifically. Do you all agree with that? That is one of those nine habits of effective ministries. Nine habits of churches that reach and keep the unchurched. Now, I'm done. Amanda, you can come to the piano if you would. How many of you can see that we're doing pretty well on some of those? But how many of you see there are some areas we need to do better so, if we're going to if we're gonna move ahead, the way that we're going to do it is by doing it biblically, but then with information like we just read from Tom Rayner, that's good information for us to know. So, as we are doing biblical ministry, that we make sure that we're doing it in an effective way. And there are things that, that we'll add. There are things that we'll take away. The thing that, busyness is not going to grow Grace Baptist. Effectiveness is going to grow Grace Baptist. And we become more effective when each and every one of us are concerned. We're intentional about telling people about Jesus Christ. There's something that's going to happen on May 19th. What is that? Okay, that's really lame. There's something that's going to happen on May 19th. What is that? Yes. And it's going to be fantastic. I'm so excited about it. We have some really fun things that we're going to have the young people doing. It's going to be a really, really amazing day. So some of you have things planned, family vacations you've bought tickets for and things. I understand. That's it. We know you don't love Jesus. Um, No, because I wasn't able to give you guys a date, I understand that that's happened. But if you have something on the calendar, cancel it. Move it yeah. so your kids have a ball game. It's Sunday. They'll miss that one That's, uh, because you're going to teach them what the priority is. Amen? Those kinds of things. Man, it's so important that we understand it. And I know what's going to happen. There's going to be somebody who was here this morning who's going to come on May 19th. I didn't know this was going on. <laughs> Shazam! <laughs> So we just, let's let's make sure that we are intentional with this. Take those invite cards and hand them out. Who did not get invite cards this morning? Would you raise your hands? You did not get invite cards. Anybody who did not get them? Kids, adults, anyone who did not get them? All right. When you run out of those, we got more. Let's just invite as many people as we can. Amen? Let's, let's have a word of prayer. Let's we'll stand together. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to minister at Grace Baptist. Lord, we love you.